Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, Happy New Year. Yeah, I always, I always like being at the 11 o'clock service because when you get to say hi to each other, you take longer than any other service. It gives me more time to set up up here. I just love that about you. So I appreciate you for just being awake. You know, it's just the great thing about 11 o'clock is you're awake. So, well, Happy New Year. We are, can you believe it? Uh, 2007, we're already, you know, like, we're heading towards the end of the decade. I, I remember back at the start of the decade, remember that, the new millennium, Y2K? We were all afraid that we were all going to die because the computers were going to, to freeze up and huge, huge business. And I was in charge of the whole IT department at the church I was at that time. I wasn't the guy who knew all the details, but it was fell under my umbrella. And it was like, wow, you know, it's, it just seemed like so long ago. You know, it was like, and it was just, just, not that long ago, really, 2000. Now we're like heading towards the end of the decade. So, okay, so I need to find out who I'm talking to today. How many of you are going out tonight to celebrate New Year's Eve? Okay, the more the merrier here for me because you're always the live wires. Okay, uh, how many are staying home? Yeah, that's what I was afraid of. Yeah, okay, okay, well, I'll do my best. Uh, I'm going to, I'm really looking forward to this message today, and, and I'd like to, to pray and uh, ask God to just be with us as we talk about the danger of distractions and uh, kind of a prepare a message just for this uh, brand new year. So uh, if you join me in prayer, and then we'll launch in. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives, and whether we're staying at home tonight or going out, it doesn't really matter. You know our hearts, you know um, when we get up, and you know when we go to bed, your word says. And you know every thought that's on our, on our mind and on our lips before it's even spoken, you encompass us before and behind. You know what the year we've come from. You know the year we're going to. And God, we're excited about this new year, not because we know what the future holds, but because we know who holds the future. We know who we are, the awesome God that we've been worshiping this morning. And so now, Lord, we come on the verge of a new year as we come step over the threshold today. Lord, we want to be prepared. We want to be ready. So we'd ask you to speak today as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I got a question for you as we get started today, before we even really get started, and it's a simple question, just a question between, for you and God, okay? It's not a show of hands sort of thing, but it's just a a very important question, and the question I have for you is, as we go into 2007, do you want to grow this year? Now, it's not such an obvious question, because I know a lot of people that they just honestly don't, that they're going to be happy if they're the same person they are when we go into 2008, a year from now, if we're all still here. They're going to be just as happy being the same person then as they are now. And so for a lot of people, that this is not a high agenda for you. And so the question I have for you today, if you to ask, just honestly, between you and God, is do you want to be the same person you are a year from now, or do you want this to be a year of growth? It might look like an obvious question. It is not an obvious question. You know, Jesus was a master of obvious questions. He said to the man who'd been lame his whole life and laying there in a mat, do you want to get well? On the surface, you would think, like, well, duh. But I don't think so. I think he'd gotten used to being like he was. He wasn't so sure that you want all the responsibility that comes with being well. So when I come, I'm asking an obvious question. Before we launch this message, I I want you to ask yourself the question, do you want to grow? And the reason I'm asking is because today I'm going to lay out for you what I really believe is a message for God from this congregation for this day and this time. This message has been percolating in my heart for years, honestly. 
And about like, since, uh, September, October this year, went from the back burner to the front burner. I had already asked Pastor Dave Cox if he would speak on this particular week through the New Year's message, and he agreed to do that. And so I'm spending time with God one day in prayer, and all of a sudden all these ideas start coming for this message about distractions the danger of distractions. I'm like, that's a perfect New Year's message, but I don't know why it's coming because I'm not speaking on New Year's this, this year. About a week or two later, I get a call from Dave. It's Mike, the weirdest thing came up. This friend of mine in New York wants me to come and speak on New Year's. Would that be okay? I said, Dave, it's fine with me. I already got the message. <laughs> and so when I tell you that today is a special message, been percolating for years and for today, I'm not, I'm not kidding. This is a message that kept shifting on me. I knew the heart of the message, but I kept on wanting to take it one way, and God just kept yanking it back the other. And I kept on saying, no, God, this is the way this needs to go. This is what's too narrow of a focus, what you have in mind. We need to do a broader focus here. I get the main idea, but I think it will work much better. And he kept on pulling me back. No, it's it's like a river that I could not control. I'd keep, like, damming it up one way, and it would curve it back the other way. And so as we enter into this message today, my question to you, do you want to grow? Serious question, full out serious question. I believe that God has a message for you today. He's got a message for me. He's got a message for us as a congregation about this year and what it's going to take to grow. The question is, are you ready for it? Last year at this time, I did a two-week sermon, series sermon, uh, sermon series. That's how that works, sermon series. It was called 2006, Are You Ready to Grow? I asked eight questions during those two weeks. Are you ready to grow? There was a man sitting right over there about halfway back. I didn't know at the time. I didn't know the story for two or three months later. He'd been a man who'd been at Rocky Peak for several years. I think he probably saw himself as a Christian, though I'm not sure he was. He's probably been a fence sitter for a long time, never been serious with God. And something was said that day. I don't know what it was, but God just spoke to his heart, and he realized that it was time in his life to figure out whether he's really going to follow Jesus or not. And so for the first time in his life, he said, God, if you're really real, this is really serious. What Mike is saying is serious. I just want to be open and and available to you what you want to do in my life. And God began to come in and change his life. And it's been a year of amazing growth for him. It's changed his life. So when I say that today could be a pivotal moment in your life, I'm not just blowing smoke. I'm telling you the truth. That I believe God has a message. The question is, are you ready to receive it? If you're ready, I think God has something for you today. So let's let's, let's jump in. I love this time of year. I love Christmas. I told you that last week. But I love, I love this time of year. I love the new year. It's just such a natural time for us to sit back and evaluate where we're going, isn't it? Just at certain times of the year, it's just kind of natural to do that. You just sit back and, hey, which way am I going? Am I happy with the way life's going? Am I, am I on track? Am I where I need to be? Do I need to make any changes, any mid-course corrections, any recalibrations in my life? Just a natural time to see where are we going? Where have I been? Where am I going? Do I like where I'm going? So on. And the longer I walk with Jesus, I'm convinced that one of the biggest dangers in our life, spiritually, is what I'm calling today the danger of distractions. When you think of getting off track spiritually, I think our mind naturally tends to wander towards the big things, doesn't it? Towards the, the major rebellions, the big temptations, the, okay, you know, this is really wrong, but I want to do it, that kind of a thing. And that's no question that those things are really dangerous for us. But the thing is, is that they're so obvious that we see them coming. We may give in, but there's no surprise here. We know if we go this route, we're going to get in trouble. But the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I'm convinced that the thing that's the greater danger for us, especially here in America, the greatest danger for us is more the subtle things. That we can just get moving so fast and so busy 
24-7, running so hard that sometimes we can lose track of our priorities and we wake up one day long way from home and wonder, how do we ever get there? And it was just the stuff of life. It was just busyness. It was just stuff. Nothing big happened. It's just one day we wake up and say, we're a long way from home. How did that happen? This message today flows out of something Jesus said. There's a section there on your note sheet called The Danger of Distractions. Jesus told a story one time. Some of you are familiar with this story. Some of you, I know, have walked with Jesus a long time, so you probably recognize the story. Some of you are kind of new at this, and you may have never heard this story, but it's a simple story. Jesus says that our lives, he compares our lives to fields. He says, your life, my life is like a field. And he says that he's like a farmer. And then he walks through our lives from time to time that he is casting seed in our life. He's planting seed. And he says that seed is his word. It's his, per, his perspective, his truth about life, the truth about life. And he says, the interesting thing is, is that as Jesus walks through the world casting his seed, that different people respond differently to his word. He says there's one kind of person that just blows them off right away, wants nothing to do with Jesus, just not even interested. And we all probably know people like that, right? Probably a lot of us were people like that at one time. And so so we understand that. I get that one. He says there's a, a fourth kind of person, and this kind of person, when they hear the word about Jesus, it just really makes sense. It clicks. They connect. They begin to follow. They keep on following. They keep on listening. And their life goes on to be extremely productive field. It's like a beautiful field, full harvest, full, full life. They, they go for the whole, the whole measure. They get the, the, the whole measure. But he said there's a couple people in between number one and number four that are people that start off listening to Jesus, but somewhere along the way quit listening. And so they start growing, their life starts changing, but for one reason or another, they get off the track, they stop listening to Jesus, and they die out, and their lives aren't productive. So Jesus tells a story one day, and later on the day, his disciples pull him aside and say, Jesus, can you give us the inside scoop on this story? We got some of the general idea, but we don't really follow you all the way. Could you explain the story? And Jesus says, absolutely, I'd be happy to do that. He says, the first kind of person in the story, first kind of soil, what happens, I come through their life, I cast the seed of my word, my truth, my perspective about life, and as I cast it, that what happens is that Satan comes and, and just tells them, this is ridiculous. There's no way this is true. This can't be true. This is the 21st century. This is not the way it works. And, and so right away, before my word even has a chance to sink in and grow in their life, guess what? Satan steals it away. He says, that's one kind of person. Okay, we get that. So it's the fourth kind of person. It's the kind of person, pretty clear, that I come in, I cast my, my, my word in their life. And they take it in, and they keep listening, and they want more, and they do what I say, and more becomes more, and rich harvest in their life. Okay, we get that one. He said, but there's two people in the middle. Start well, but don't finish well. These are people that respond to my word initially, but then as time goes on, it just dies out in their life. He says, the first person, it goes like this. This is a person who, the first hear my message, they begin to follow me, they begin to grow, but they've never really thought it through. They've never really understood the full implications of following me. And when hard times come in their life, and they didn't expect that because they thought I was like a spiritual genie that was going to protect them from hard times. And when hard times come, they bail on me. They stop listening to me. Or they might bail because of persecution. They didn't really understand that in following Jesus, not everyone's going to be excited about my new passion and that there's going to be a price to pay, and so as a persecution comes, they bail. They're not in for that. So that's the second kind of soil. 
And as I'm listening to Jesus tell this story, I'm going, okay, I totally get that. I get soil number one, the one who blows you off. I get soil number four, the one who really goes for it. I get soil number two, the persecution, the hard time person. I get that. I'm with you, Jesus. He says, but there's a third kind of soil. These people start growing. I walk through their life. I change their life. They're growing like weeds. Things are going well. But then these thorns grow up. These thorns grow up in their life, and they choke out the life of what I'm doing. They just choke out what I'm doing in their life. They choke out my agenda. And my word gets slowly, increasingly choked out until where they die and they produce no fruit in their life. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the story. Some of you have probably heard the story and you remember what the thorns are. Some of you, I'm sure, have heard the story. You can't remember what the thorns are. Some of you have never heard this story. So I'm thinking, if I'm heard the story for the first time, I'm at the edge of my seat. I'm like, Jesus, okay, I, I want to hear this. Like, what is this that is so powerful that you can walk through a person's life, they can believe in you, they start following you. They're excited about you. Their life is changing. You're the light of the world. And they're following you, and something comes up so powerful and so strong, it destroys the life of God in them. And they die out. Like, what could that be? Who could that culprit be? What could be so powerful to choke the life of God out of us. Jesus says, well, here it is. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. And so I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. I want to hear from Jesus. What are these thorns? This has got to be good. This has got to be big. Oh boy, I bet something big's coming up here. Oh, maybe like adultery, maybe murder. What could be so big that could choke the life of God out of us? Maybe it's corruption, fraud. So in the morning, he tells a story. In verse 7, he says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Okay, we got that. That's the morning story. Now, the afternoon, the disciples asked for clarification. Verse 18. Jesus says, well, here's what it stands for. He says, still others. Verse 18. They're like seeds sown among thorns. They hear the word. And then here it comes. Here comes the culprit. Here's what's going to choke the life of God out of them. The worries of this life. And I'm like, huh? Could you come again, Jesus? I'm not quite following you. I thought you said the worries of this life. That's what this powerful culprit is. Could you come again? Everything within me wants to sit back and say, are you kidding me? This is the danger that I'm to guard myself against. This is the danger that Jesus says can choke his work out of my life. The worries of this life, how I'm going to pay the bills, how I get the kids to the soccer game, whether I get my class next quarter, or semester in college, whether he calls me back for a second date, speaking generically, not me personally. (laughs) What am I going to do with my mother when she gets older? What am I going to do for retirement? Are you serious, Jesus? Are you seriously telling me that you can walk through a person's life, you can cast your word, they come alive spiritually, they're following you, life is making sense, their life is being transformed. Are you seriously telling me that a person can lose 
all of that because of the worries of this life. And Jesus says, yes, that's what I'm telling you. Well, what else do the thorns stand for? He says, well, the second thing is the deceitfulness of wealth. What's that? It's, it's the belief that the more we have, the happier we'll be. It's the belief that the more money we have, the higher our standard of, live, of life. Not standard of living, our standard of life. The deceitfulness of wealth. Well, what else, Jesus? What, what else is thorns? He says, well, it's the desire for other things. Well, what are you talking about other things? Well, maybe it's a promotion at work. Maybe it's a new toy for the desert. You just, just, <laughs> some, of you just, some of you just got that for Christmas, didn't you? It's like, oh no, oh no. It was a gift. Uh, just stuff, you know, materialism. And everything within me wants to stand back and say, Jesus, are you serious? You tell a story about the things that can kill us spiritually. And of all the things you could choose, you choose the worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. Couldn't you think of something a little bit more deadly? (laughs) And Jesus wants to say, Mike, could you sit down here and just watch how life works? As I sit down with Jesus and I watch how life works, especially here in America, in our culture, the more I watch it, the more I go, he is dead on. What a surprise. This guy is bright. He's just dead on. He is right on the money. You see, if I was a Christian in China, probably one of the biggest dangers for me would be persecution, right? That I would give up the work of God in my life because of persecution. If I lived in Indonesia, yes, persecution. But I don't. I live in America. You live in America. In America, most of us are not going to jail or losing our life for following Jesus. Yes, there's persecution. We'll talk about it in a few weeks. But it's not the kind of thing that usually causes us to say, oh, I'm not following Jesus anymore. It's just getting too hot in here. Right? Hey, but we live in America. This is like the land of distractions. We're the country that made 24-7 a phrase for around the world. We're we're the country that prides ourselves on how busy we are. We're the country that measures our worth by how busy we are. You ever get a group of people together, guys especially, compare calendars? This is like like we prove we're a man. The busier we are, the more of a man we are. I'm so busy, I can't even answer my cell phone. Whatever, right? (laughs) Oh, really? Well, I'm so busy, I can't even check my BlackBerry. It's like we have, you see what I'm saying? We live in a country that measures the value of life by the pace of life, measures it by how many possessions we have, measures it by the pursuit of other things. And and the more I'm with Jesus and the more I walk with Jesus, the more I'm convinced that for us as American Christians, one of the greatest dangers that we face is soil number three, the thorns of life, the danger of distractions. So how do, we, how do we fight this in our life? How do we prevent this as we go into 2007? And this is where I thought the sermon should go one way and Jesus seemed to think it should go another way. This is where I wanted to give you like five things that we need to do. I looked at it like a smorgasbord. You could go by and take whatever appealed to you, what applied to your life. Let the Holy Spirit serve up your particular meal. I wanted to talk to you about, well, that's why it's important for us to be in church because... 
Because this is a time when we really focus in and we get refocused, and that's so true. And then I wanted to talk to you about small groups and why that's so important that we are in a small group because we stay focused. And then I want to talk to you about serving and giving, and that's so great because Jesus said where our heart is, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is, and that helps us stay. And they're all true. That every time I kept trying to take the message that way, I felt pulling me back another way. He wanted me to talk about one thing and one thing only. And I didn't want to talk about one thing and one thing only. And finally, it's like, okay, you win. So what's that one thing? I think the one thing he wants us to talk about as a church as we go in this new year is that if we want to stay on track spiritually, we want to fight the danger of distractions, it's imperative there's a congregation and there's people. We come to a place where we understand the importance of spending time with God one-on-one. And that's the message for 2007. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take, first of all, we're going to take some time and look at the life of Jesus because he models this for us so well. And then we're going to come back and ask three critical questions at the end about, well, how do we deal with distraction in our own life? How do we actually practically create space for God in our lives in the midst of our busy schedule? So they're in your note sheet. You have a section called How to Stay on Track Spiritually. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to run through the life of Jesus. Just a quick flyby. Now, of course, as you study the life of Jesus, you understand that we know very little about the life of Jesus. If you were to put it all together, it's just, it really doesn't amount to much. We, we know some great things about it, but it's not that much. But we do get some windows into his life, windows into his soul, windows into how he stayed on track spiritually. And uh, what we'll find as we go through his life is what a priority his time alone with God was. So let's, let's stop and think about this together. Remember in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they start off, uh, first thing that happens in the life of Jesus, other than his, you know, his birth and so on, but the first major thing that happens is his baptism. He goes to the Jordan River and baptizes. Now, right after his baptism in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the next thing that happens, how many of you remember, you remember what that was? What's the next thing that happens? Wow. We've got some work to do. No. <laughs> Okay, well, baptism, what happens next? Temptation, right? He goes to the desert, very good. He goes to the desert, takes like a month off, a little more than a month, 40 days. He goes to the desert, he spends 40 days alone time with God. Now, why does he do that? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why he did that. But I'm pretty convinced that one of the reasons that Jesus did that was because he knew his life was going to become chaotic. In fact, in my own life, when I think of the times I spend alone with God, I call them my island of calm in the midst of my chaos. And I think Jesus understood his life was about to get very chaotic, and it was going to get very, a lot of distractions were going to be coming. And, and then he really needed to focus in and get clear on who he was, what his calling was, what his priorities were. And so he goes to spend 40 days in the desert. Now, would you agree with me that's a fairly long time to be alone with God? Pretty long time, right? We just got so used to the Bible. I hate that. We get so used to the Bible, we don't even see the obvious. And it's like, hey, time out. Would you agree with me? It's a fairly significant amount of time. He's going to, you know, you're baptized. Let's get to work. She's like, no, I'm baptized. Now I need to get with God. You see? So he spent 40 days. So he comes out of that. He starts his ministry in Galilee in the north. He starts off in a town named Capernaum. In Mark's uh, gospel, he says the first thing he does, he goes in, he preaches there, he, he casts out a demon, 
of a man who's demon-possessed. And uh, people are so taken with his teaching and with his exorcism, they start bringing the sick to him. One evening, he stays up late, and he's just healing everybody. Next morning comes, you'd think Jesus would be sleeping in. He's got to be exhausted. His disciples are sleeping in. But Mark tells us specifically in Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, and we won't be looking up these verses, but they're on your note sheet. And so this week, if you're looking for something to do in your time with God, you can look up these verses. And by the way, sometimes people ask us and say, hey, how come uh, during, the, during the time when life groups are off, you know, it would be really great if you would write curricula during that time because we're kind of used to using it. And just want to let you know, we will, I'm sure, do that in the future. It's just uh, we're kind of three pastors down right now, and so that's why we're not doing it. <laughs> so if you want to write it, let me know. Anyway, um, so anyway, Mark chapter 1, he gives us a snapshot right at the beginning. Peter gets up in the morning. Jesus, you know, crowds are coming from all over to see Jesus. Peter's like, hey, man, this, we got to ride this wave of popularity. We need to get Jesus. Where's Jesus? And, and he goes out to find Jesus. It turns out that Jesus has been up for hours. In fact, Mark tells us specifically that he's been up very early. And just to clarify, he says, before dark. Okay? So, oh, dark hundred which is what I call the time of our elder meetings. So at O Dark 100, Jesus gets up while everyone else is sleeping in, and he goes out to be alone with God. Now, something about this has always struck me as odd. You would think that if anyone was close enough with God that he didn't have to spend special time alone, <laughs> it would be Jesus, right? I mean, he's pretty tight with the Father, right? I mean, he said, we're one. You don't get much closer than that. And yet, what we see in Jesus' life is the busier it gets, the clearer it becomes what a priority this was for him to spend time with God. So we see it in chapter 1, we see him going out there. Chapter 3, life is so busy now, his disciples can't even get time to eat food. It says they can't even get a meal. And in the midst of this, Jesus has to pick 12 disciples. And so you'd think he would call his father and say, hey, dad, life's incredibly busy. Can you download the message? I've got five minutes. All I need is 12 names. But no. We're told Jesus spends the whole night in prayer. Now, isn't the poor guy exhausted by this time? I mean, he's preaching all day. He's healing all day. Do you think he might be tired? But it's such a priority to get with God, he spends the whole night in prayer, and then he goes out the next day teaching and healing, never gets any sleep that night. You get to chapter 5 of Luke, and Luke says this is not only something he did occasionally, this was a pattern in his life. In fact, there in your note sheet, a great insight, window into his life. Luke chapter 5 says the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him, and to be healed of their sickness. So you get the picture. News is getting out there. Life's getting crazy. People coming from all over. But look how Jesus responds. But Jesus often withdrew. Now underline that. He often withdrew. This was a pattern for him. Notice it doesn't say every day. Nothing about every day. But he often withdrew. One of my favorite examples of this withdrawing. Matthew chapter 14. Jesus had just gotten bad news. His friend, his cousin, his partner in ministry, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded the day before by a crazy king for a stupid reason. 
He gets the news. Jesus is depressed. He's upset. He's sad. He needs to get away and be by himself. So he says to his guys, let's get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side of the sea. I need to get away. Only problem was is that someone spies them sneaking out. The word gets out. By the time he gets to the other side of the sea for his own personal retreat, guess what? You've got thousands of people there. They all want to hear from Jesus. Jesus, being true to his nature, puts aside his own needs, his own grief. He lays it down. He begins to minister to these people. He heals them. He teaches them all day long. It's dinner time. They didn't bring enough food. They're in the middle of nowhere. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. The people are so impressed. They're so taken with Jesus. They've seen the healings. They've heard him teaching. He teaches like no one else. This has got to be the Messiah. They want to come and take him by force to be king. Huge temptation in his life. He could just bypass the cross, be king right now. Huge temptation. Jesus senses the danger. He stops everything. He sends the crowds away. He sends his disciples back in the boat, says, I'll meet you on the other side. He heads for the hills. What does he do? What does a man do who's grieving? What does a man do who's exhausted? What does a man do who's been healing and teaching all day and just fed 5,000? What does a man man do when he's dealing with temptation in his life to become king and he knows it's not the time he's come to die and not be king? What does a man do under those circumstances? This man hikes up in the hills, and he spends the night in prayer with God. In fact, it says there in Matthew chapter 14, on your note sheet, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. Why did he need to be alone? Because he needed to get with his father. His heart was breaking over his friend John. He needed to process that. Why was he there? It was because he was under temptation. He needed to draw strength from his father to be true to his mission because the same thing that happened to John the Baptist was soon going to happen to him. And he needed to gather strength. Matthew tells us that he was there until the fourth watch of the night, which is between 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. After that horrendous schedule, he was there till 4 to 6 And then being strengthened by his time with God, he does the most amazing rebound act, and he walks on water and meets his disciples mid-lake. Not bad. Now, why do you think the Bible, over and over again, gives us this insight into these times in Jesus' life on a regular basis, and he withdraws? I can tell you why. It's because he's modeling it for us. You see, how do we keep from getting distracted? How do we keep from being soil number three who once walked with Jesus, his word is producing and changing our lives? How does that happen in our life? We prevent ourselves from going down the path where the, the, the worries of life and the pursuit of wealth and the pursuit of other things where they don't choke out the life of God. How does that happen? Jesus models it for us. How does a man stay on track? He stays on track by withdrawing and spending time with his father on a regular basis. Basis. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, I believe God's got a message for us as a church. He's got a message for us for individual followers. And that's that if we want to stay on track, if we want to grow, if you want to experience God's will for your life this year, that we've got to get serious about finding a way to create space for God in our lives. And there in your note sheet, I have a section called Dealing with Distractions, Creating Space for God. And I want to ask you three simple questions today as we enter this new year to help you do a little evaluation. Number one, here's the first question. The first question I have for you is, are you making this a priority in your life? 
Now, I want to be very clear that what's about to come right now is not a drive-by guilting. I have no desire to make you feel bad. I have no desire to shake my finger and say, shame on you. Just get nothing out of that. I see myself as your coach in life. That's my job as a pastor, to be a life coach. I want you to win. My job is to come alongside and to help you win. That's what I'm all about. That's what God's called me to do. My job is not coming here to condemn you. It's a, a, no desire to that. I'm not the principal in your life, okay? I'm a life coach. But what I'm asking you to do, the first step to growth in any area of our life is to be radically honest. And what I want to start today is I want to ask you just to look deep inside yourself and to ask yourself this question. Is spending time with God on a one-on-one basis, is that a priority in your life? And I'm not asking, do you want it to be a priority? I'm not asking, do you believe it should be a priority? I'm not asking, do you feel it's a priority? What I'm asking is if a stranger came into your life and he looked at your, bl- your, bl- uh, your, your day timer, your Blackberry, your calendar, what would he find? Would he find that's a priority in your life? And I'm just asking you to be honest, just to start there. Just you and God, is it a priority? Now, if it's not a priority, here's what I want to suggest to you. If it's not a priority for us to spend time with God, th- th- there's a very simple reason why. And here's the reason. The reason is you don't believe it's that important. Now, some of you would probably want to argue with me about that. You say, no, no, I I do believe it's that important. I I totally believe it. It's just this life is so busy, I don't know when to fit it in. It's just so hard to do. But I, I believe it. And I'd say, no, you don't. Because here's one of the most fundamental rules of human behavior. You ready? People do what people believe. Take it to the back. Write it down. We do what we believe. This is a fundamental rule of human behavior is we do what we believe. If you tell me you believe something, you don't do it, I can tell you something. You don't really believe it. It's just the way life works. Like, let me give you an example. I think back over my life and the role exercise has played or not played in my life. And there was a time in my life when you say, do you believe it in exercise? I'd say, yes. Do you believe you should exercise? Yes. Do you believe it's important? Yes. Are you exercising? No. <laughs> and I'd exercise sometimes, and then I wouldn't exercise, and I'd exercise sometimes, and I was kind of off again and on again. And then came a time in my life, and I don't know how this happened or when it happened or exact day it happened, but there came a time in my life where for whatever reason, I crossed the tipping point. I crossed the threshold where I became, I believed that exercise was important. I can't tell you what day it was, but there was a day when I crossed over the line and I believed that exercise is really important and that it's going to control the quality of my life and my productivity long term, and that it's really important. And ever since then... I've exercised. No, not when I'm sick. Maybe an unusual time of stress, like when I moved here. <laughs> um, but by and large, I exercise in my life. It's a pattern in my life. Why? Because somewhere along the line, I crossed the line where I was convinced that if I wanted to live life to the fullest, I needed exercise. And once I crossed that line, it became part of my life. You see? We do what we believe. One of my goals today 
is to create motivation in your life. One of my goals is to be pushing you towards that invisible line in your life where you step over the line and you come to believe. See, I think for a lot of Christians, we look at time with God alone as the extra credit of the Christian life. We say, I don't need to be a high achiever. I just want to be a good Christian. I could be a B. This time with God, that's for the high achievers. That's for the A, the A kinds of people. And Jesus comes walking through our life and says, no, I'm like a farmer walking through his uh, seed and I'm casting my word. And I got to tell you, the danger of distraction is real and it can kill you. And so this is not really an option. You need to focus in. And maybe for the first time in your life, it's really clicking for you. And the first time as we study the life of Jesus, you're going, okay, I get it. But I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced you get it, right? So we're going to look at one other passage of Scripture. This will be my attempt to push you over the line, right? John chapter, John chapter 8. Now, let me uh, explain the background here, what's going on. Jesus is preaching in John chapter 8. And, and just like in his parable of the four soils, that people are listening. And he's spreading the word in their life. And some are buying in. Now, at this point in the story, as we're told that some believe in him. At this point in the story, we don't know if these new, quote, believers, we don't know if they're soil number two, three, or four. We know they're not soil number one, because soil number one blows Jesus off. What we're going to see is these people believe in him. What we don't know are they, is, are they two, three, and four, because I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but two, threes, and fours all look the same at the start, right? Soil two, three, and four, they all look the same. They're all growing. They're responding to Jesus. Only time will tell who are the twos, who are the threes, and who are the fours. And so these people all believe in Jesus. We don't know if they're two, threes, and fours. So he says in verse 30, 830, even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. So Jesus is teaching. He's the farmer. He's casting his word into the crowd. Many believe. The soil, the seeds goes down. It begins to sprout. It begins to grow. Many put their faith. They buy into Jesus. All right? They become believers. Now, in verse 31, it says, but now to these Jews that who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now, this is a really profound statement. Jesus is defining what it means to be a follower. You know, disciple is the New Testament word for a follower of Jesus. We'd call them Christians today. And so Jesus is defining what it means to be a follower. And he says to these people who just believed, who just, the the seed went in their life and began to sprout, he says, here's how you can tell if you're truly a follower of mine, if you're a real believer, you're a real Christian. He says, if you hold to my teaching." Now, literally, in the Greek, it says, if you remain in my word, okay? So the word in John chapter 15, where if you abide in me uh, and I abide in you, that whole abiding passage, same word, remain, continue, Greek word, meno. If you continue in my, my teaching, literally, word, logos, if you continue in my teaching. It says, in other words, if you keep listening to me, you keep following me, you, you keep letting my word produce fruit in my life. Says, if you do that, if you not, you, you've started to believe, your soil's number two, three, or four right now, if you continue to let your, my word bear fruit in your life, you see, then you are my disciples. There's only one test of whether a person is truly a follower of Jesus, and that's do we follow Now, a lot of these people here, 
In verse 30, they'd heard Jesus. If he would have an altar call, they probably wouldn't have gone forward that night. Hey, if you believe me, come forward. They would have gone forward. But notice that Jesus doesn't say they're followers yet. He says, that's really cool that you've come forward and you decided to follow, but we'll just see if you are followers by whether you follow. If you continue in my teaching. No, they don't know what happens. Verse 32. Then, at that point, in other words, if you're continuing to follow my word, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You catch this? You catch the flow here? Jesus says, my word has the power to set you free. But it only sets one kind of person free. It doesn't set soil number two free because they stop following. It doesn't set soil number three free, they stop following. It only sets free followers. It only sets free soil number four kinds of people. Now, can I tell you something? I believe in our country today, in the United States of America, that we have got tons of people who fill the pews or chairs of our churches who truly see themselves as followers of Jesus and Jesus doesn't. And the reason they see themselves as followers of Jesus or Christians, the reason is because there was a point in their life where they had a verse 30 experience and they believed in Jesus. And therefore, because they believed in Jesus and something he said, and they bought into his teaching 30 years ago, they think they're followers. And Jesus comes along and says, no, let me define this for you. What defines a follower is that they continue to follow. And if they don't follow, they're not a follower. And he says, only one kind of person gets set free in life. Those are people who follow. And so here's what's happened in our country is we have tons of people who name the name of Christ. They see themselves as Christians, but they have not followed, and as a result, they are not set free. And so we have a whole nation that looks on and says, what does Jesus or the church of Jesus have to offer? They're as bound up as anybody you see, we're going to follow Islam because these people take it seriously. One of the fastest growing religions in our country is Islam today. Why? Because they're following. You see, they're not following Jesus, but they're following. Are, are you catching this? Are you catching what Jesus says? Jesus says he walks through our life with his word and he casts his seed. And he says, there's only one kind of person that gets to experience the freedom I came and died to give you. That's the person who continues in my word. He says, now be really careful because there's gonna be a lot of things in your life that try to choke out my word. He says, so be very careful of the thorns in life. Stay focused. So the question is, is this a priority for you to take in his word in your life? As we stand at the beginning of 2007, the first question, is it a priority? Second question. The second question is, do you have a plan? 
It's one thing to say we make this a priority, time with God, but the next question we have to ask is do we have a plan? Because if we have a priority without a plan, all we have is a good intention. You catch that? If we have a priority without a plan, all we have is a good intention. And so until a priority has a plan, it's going to stay on the shelf. So the question is, not only is this a priority for you to spend time with God in your life, but the next question is, you know, what's your plan? And the good news is, is that all kinds of plans work. There is no one plan. We're all different personalities. We're all different stages of our walk, stages of life. We're wired differently, extroverts, introverts. Um, and so we're all different. And so you're going to have to find the plan that works for you. Um, Lynn and I have a, a friend, and uh, she's a, a, a lady that has um, struggled with her weight her whole life. And she is, uh, has been very overweight. She's first to admit it. And uh, she's tried all these things over the year. And finally, a year or two ago, she decided to have that surgery, you know, like the uh, gastro bypass uh, surgery. And so we got a Christmas letter this year, and she looks great. She's lost like 187 pounds. And so she's looking great. But of course, she understands it's not enough to have the surgery. You need to change your, your style of eating, and you also need to, to find a way of exercise that works for you. And so she's been working on finding that way of exercise. And so in a Christmas letter, she says, I found the way of exercise that works for me. And you're, just, you're so exciting. You're like, great, well, tell me what it is. And she said, well, here's uh, two things that I do. Number one, I walk every day um, to Starbucks. Uh, so it doesn't seem like exercise if the destination is Starbucks. And so the second thing is I've taken up clogging. And I'm thinking, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> I'm thinking, if that's the plan that's going to help you exercise, you know, it's just not going to work for me. I mean, I don't have the time or the money to go to Starbucks every day, right? And, and if, if I have to clog in order to get in shape, <laughs> I'm going to become a big boy. You know, remember Charles Spurgeon? He's going to be my new hero. You ever seen a picture of the great preacher Charles Spurgeon? You know, just huge man. But what's so cool is I'm excited for her because she's found a way that works for her. You see, it's not about me. It's about her. It's about what is a way that works for her. And if that's working for her, Awesome. And we come to our time with God, it's the same way, is that you have to find what works for you. I was thinking this week back over my life, in different seasons of my life, and what's worked for me at different seasons. Sometimes more time with God, sometimes less. Sometimes more time in his words, sometimes more in prayer, sometimes more in journaling, sometimes more in worship. It'll vary. Different places in the house, sometimes it's the den, sometimes it's the patio, sometimes it's long prayer walks in the neighborhood or in a local park. Sometimes it's very planned out, reading through the Bible in a year, using like a life journal. Other times it's very spontaneous. God, what do you, what do you want me to do with you today? And just kind of, well, he's putting in my heart today. Very different times, different seasons. And that's the way it is. What's important is that you find out what works for you. Uh, a lot of you know my friend Chris Brown. You know, Chris has been up here and spoken a couple times. He's at our men's retreat. Chris, I love Chris. He's the first to tell you he is ADD. Have you ever been around Chris? He cannot sit still. Here's his hands, foot's going, you know. It's like a little band, all of them. So got an invisible band going. And he's the first to admit, he says, like, I, he says I'm, I'm Mr. ADD. I don't like to read. What if you do and you're ADD and you don't like to read? You're going to have to find this, uh, a way to spend time with God that works for you. And you know what works for him is he'll read a passage or whatever, and he'll go to the park. He'll often take a bucket of balls, golf balls, and he'll chip for a half an hour, an hour. And he finds that... 
as he's chipping, it's like it gives him body something to do and it sets his mind free. And so he can really focus on God and have great times of talking with God and prayer. And it's just really amazing times. Now, I've got to tell you, there's not a whole lot of people that's going to be their way. But the awesome thing is he figured out what would work for him, you see? And so what's your plan? Now, now here's a challenge. If you're serious about this, and we all got to face this, the biggest challenge you're probably going to face is time. And where do you find the time? And so here's the warning that I have for you, that if you're serious about spending time with God, that you're going to have to figure out not only when you spend time with God and what you do, you're going to have to figure out what goes from your current schedule. Because it's impossible to take our busy schedules and just add God onto it and make it work. Uh, You've probably experienced this. And that's what we'll often do. We'll just try to, okay, we'll add this time on, and then you find it doesn't work. And so, so what this means is that you're going to have to look at your life, and l- chances are something is going to have to go. And it may be a good thing. In fact, you've probably already learned this lesson in life, but many times it's the good that's the enemy of the best in our lives. And so there might be something good that has to go in your life. It's not like some bad stuff. Uh, it might be, uh, I don't know, maybe you love to read a lot and you're going to read a little bit less of your novels. It could be uh, uh, certain sports things. It could be certain hobbies. It could be a variety of things, but something is going to have to go. Here's, here's a hot tip. For most of us, the easiest thing to go is a little TV time, honestly. That I think for most people, if I were to say just kind of what, across the board, what's the best way to do this? I'd say turn the TV off one hour earlier every night. And then if you're an evening person, spend that time with God. And if you're a morning person, go to bed an hour earlier every night and get up with God. That's probably the easiest way for most of us. But you find out that something's going to have to go. And if you're looking for a specific way, like you're like, well, I don't even know where to start, I would really recommend considering one potential way are these life journals that we introduced last year. And the reason I love the life journals is because they, they get you in the Word of God on a regular basis. One thing I love about it is you never have to figure out what to do. Have you ever had this experience? You go to spend time with God and you're there 15 minutes looking for something that hits you. And it's like, oh, I ran out of time now. The nice thing about life journals, it tells you, here's where you're supposed to be today. And guess what? If you miss a day, don't sweat it. You can either make it up later or just, who cares? Just skip that and move on. Because what's more important than like, oh, finishing the Bible in a year. Like you don't get any brownie points in heaven. What's important is that you're in the word. You see? And so they're great. They're laid out great. There's a place for you to take your notes, and there's memory verses you can use in the back, and there's a place for prayer requests. Just laid out really well. There's instructions how to use it. So if you're looking for a way, great. They've got those two ways, the the, the full-on life journal or the more abbreviated form, the first steps. And so, okay, so the second question is, do you have a plan? Third question. The third question is, are you setting a realistic pace? So the first question is, is it a priority? Second, do you have a plan? Third, it's about a pace. Are you setting a realistic pace? And this is so important because there's nothing more demoralizing than start fast and then die. Uh, This thing that we're in, this thing called life, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Have you figured that out? We're in a marathon here, and, and what we want to do is we want to create a habit of spending time with God that lasts for your lifetime. 
And just like in a marathon, it's more important to start slow and finish than to come out sprinting out of the gates. And so many times what happens is we hear a message like this. We get all fired up and, wow, I'm on it and that's it. And we go home and tomorrow morning we're going to get up an hour early. Of course, we don't go to bed uh, an hour early. We just get up an hour early. And so we get up an hour early and about the day three, we are so tired we can hardly see the page. And we're like, is this the longer, longest hour of my life or is it my imagination? Have you ever done this? I mean, spent an hour with God and 10 minutes you're in. It's like, it's got to be three hours by now. You ever experienced that? I kind of watched three TV programs in the last 10 minutes. That's how it feels. And so start slowly. It might be three, four times a week, 15 minutes with God. It's not a lot of time. It's going to change your life. No, it's not going to change your life, but it's a start. It's a place to begin. It's a, pl- a place to launch from. You know, earlier I mentioned my exercise. Can I tell you my philosophy of exercise? This is how I exercise. And I've got a gym out in my garage. And uh, my philosophy is, is I'm going to spend an hour there when I go out to work out. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> my philosophy, I just have to put in an hour. My daughter comes home from college and, Dad, you're not working out very hard. That's okay. I just have to be here. That's <laughs> serious. I'm serious. I just, okay, this hour, I'm going to be in the garage. I'm not coming into this. Hour's up. And when I haven't been exercising for a while, like I've been sick or something, I come back, I start slow. Don't push myself. Because you know what I've learned? I've learned if the pain is too great, I'm going to quit. So exercise for me, it's all about pain management. <laughs> and you know, I go out there for an hour, but you know what happens after I've been working out for a while? Like, I haven't been working out for a while. I've got this sinus infection I can't get rid of. They're trying to figure out what's wrong with me. They can't figure it out. And so I haven't worked out for a while. You know when I start back in, what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go out there and be there for an hour. I'm not going to work out real hard. But when I'm there, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to start getting bored. And so I'm going to, oh, I'll try this one. I'll try this one. I'll do this one. And you know what's going to happen? Is I'm going to begin to enjoy it. I'm going to start getting into it a little bit. I'm not going to push it too hard. Next time I'm going to come back, I'll feel a little stronger. I'll do a little bit more. You see what happens? And pretty soon, you're working out well. And one of the biggest dangers of spending time with God is you try to start too hard, too fast, too much. Hey, just show up. Just show up. Just give God the time and just show up. I don't even care what you do. Just show up. Guess what? Pretty soon, a verse is going to be sticking out to you here, standing out to you. You're going to connect with God in prayer there. Hey, that's not bad. I want to try some more of that. You can always expand the time, but start... Start slowly. And when you're in that time with God, don't expect too much. Sometimes we go in that first week and we just expect it's going to turn the world upside down. No, don't Don't even try to understand everything. I came up, a woman came up to me last night. She said, Mike, my story is so similar. She said, I I, I tried to read the Bible for years off and on. just wasn't very good at it. Finally, a friend of mine said, quit trying to understand it so much. Just treat it like a novel. She said, I quit trying to understand it so much. I started enjoying it. And as I read more and more, I began to understand more. Isn't that great? So it's just like, we have such high, no, just hang out. Just put in your time. Just be there. Spend that time with God. And as you begin to read his word over time, what's going to happen? It's going to begin to start making sense. Things are starting to click. So there's going to be days when God's going to meet you. It's going to start changing your life, you see? But don't, don't, don't start off too much. It'd be like me going out and trying to work out for one week after not working out for three months and then saying, what's wrong? I'm not, I don't look any better. Like, well, you know, it just takes time. Just, just keep, keep on keeping on. Okay, don't forget, experts tell us 
that it takes between 30 to 60 days to start a new habit in our life, okay? So when you start off, you want to make sure that you're running at a pace you can maintain for that amount of time, you see? All right, let's wrap this thing up. You know, we're heading into a new year. What I'm telling you is that Jesus is going to be coming through your life this year. He's going to be casting his word. And that one of the biggest dangers we have is the danger of distraction. That if you want to grow and you want to be set free in your life, you have to continue in his word. And for that to happen, you're going to need some islands of calm in your sea of chaos. You're going to need to be a regular part of your life. So the question is, are you, are you ready to do that? Are you willing to do that? Now, you don't have to be willing. In fact, you might not even believe what we've been teaching today. If you're honest, you might say, you know what, sounds good, but I'm not there yet. That's okay. I'd rather you be honest and say, at this point in my life, I don't believe Jesus. That's a better place to be than to think we're following Jesus when we really aren't. It's much better for us to be in a place to say, you know what, Jesus is interesting to me. He's fascinating to me. I like listening to him, but I haven't bought in yet. Much better place to be than to think of ourselves as a follower when we're not following. So the question this year, and it'll be determined by what we do, is do you have time for God this year? Do you have time in your schedule? And do you believe him? Whether we believe him or not, will be determined not by what we say, by what we do, because people do what people believe. Let's pray. Lord, we just come and freely admit that we're weak people and that many times it's hard for us to do the things we even want to do. And so today we come before you and we ask that you would really touch our hearts and you would create in us a hunger to know you, a hunger to understand your word, your perspective on life, that we can be set free. God, we want to be a people that are not going through the motions. We want to be true followers who are set free. So the world can see that's what it's like to follow Jesus and that's what he does when a life is released to him. And we pray this year would be a year that if we've never done it before, this would be the year that we get serious about spending time with you and we experience a life transformation that comes from being set free in your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>